But we're going to be in Hebrews, as I said, uh, chapter starting chapter 3. I'm going to read it all out at the beginning, and then you can keep it open and follow along as I talk about it uh, later. Um, but it's a long passage, so, you know, buckle up. We're starting in chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we, are, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For, if we, for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end, the reality that we had at the start. As it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses, with whom God was angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news, as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we have believed, and we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is God's word for us this morning. 
Well, again, good morning to all of you. <clears throat> we are so privileged that we can actually meet together and study uh, God's Word as God's people. Uh, most of you know we're in the middle of this series uh, going through the book of Hebrews, and we've called it Jesus is Better. Jesus is Better. Um, and so I'm going to pray, and we're going to just dive into this text. It's going to be, obviously you know it's going to be an overview, else we'd be here for three hours. But it's get, it, there's such good stuff in here that I want to share with you this morning. But we need ears to hear. So, so let's pray to that end. Father, thank you again for giving us such a beautiful morning. This is the day that you have made and planned from the beginning of time. Help us to rejoice it and be glad in, in your works and in who you are today. Help us to hear your word with ears that are attentive and eager to hear, to see, to believe, and by believing to have life and rest in your name. Lord, thank you. We pray for your spirit to now just show us um, your truth and give us your joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, before I, I dive in the text, I want to share with you a, um, something that happened to me when I was nine years old. Um, I was, for a very short time in my life, a part of the Scouts. And when you're a part of the Scouts, as you do, you sometimes go away camping. And I went away one weekend. I was in year four on the weekend to a place in my home state of Kentucky, uh, probably the most famous nat uh, natural landmark in the state, a place called Mammoth Cave National Park. Um, Mammoth Cave, its claim to fame is, the, it is, I think, or it was, the largest cave system known in the world. And uh, because it's just all full of caves underground, the surface of the, uh, of the cave system is really quite interesting at the surface level. If you've ever been down to the lower southeast, you'll know what I'm talking about. Where there's all this limestone and you know, gaps and hollows places underneath the soil, you'll get a lot of pits and sinkholes on, on the surface. And that's kind of what the, it's a beautiful, beautiful landscape. And that's where we were uh, camping. Now the last morning we were there, uh, we were packing up our, packing down our campsite. And uh, a group of the, my friends, were wanted to go explore. They'd heard that there was this kind of secret entrance to the cave, and they wanted to go find it. And they did the wise thing in that they followed a, a trail that kind of went around from where our campsite was, just looped around this long way uh, to find where this secret cave was. Uh, I, for whatever reason, was um, got got held up. I was just a bit slow, I think, in, in setting out. So I wanted to try and catch up with the group. But I thought in my head, you know, since they took this long way around, it would be a lot quicker. I could catch up with them if I just went straight across to where they were going. But what I didn't realize is that the distance, the, the space between where I was and where they were going was quite a large, narrow valley or ravine, almost like a sinkhole, but not fully open uh, to the cave below. And as I set out, I got down to the very lowest point in this, in this ravine. And when you got down there, I realized I couldn't see the people that I was heading towards, and I couldn't see where I'd come from. I was completely damp, sunk down below the, the ground level. And right at that moment that I realized I was lost and disoriented, this massive raccoon jumps out of the tree next to me and like lands right at my feet and, and runs off. And I'd love to tell you that I, you know, that I didn't phase me at all, that I was just, you know, kind of shrugged it off. That is not what happened. 
Um, some sort of noise came out of me that made my dad come running, and he found me, and when I saw my dad up on the ridge line, I realized, okay, that must be the campsite I knew to get back to, and I knew I was safe. But man, I, the, the win for me on that day was that none of my friends heard whatever noise that came out of my mouth. So that was a, that was a good thing. But let me tell you why I'm sharing uh, that story with you. I think in some ways it's a bit of a picture uh, of our lives as Christ followers and, the, and a little bit of a picture that we see here uh, in Hebrews. A lot of us find ourselves in life kind of down in a pit and we are a bit disoriented. We forget where we've come from. We can't necessarily see where we're going. And when we're down there in that place and we're doing it really tough, the only thing we want in that moment is to get out. And it doesn't matter if we go to, you know, keep going forward or go back to where we came from. We just want out of the situation that we're in. And I think that's a, the people that the preacher of Hebrews was writing to were in, a, were in a situation like that. They were young. They were new followers of Jesus. And they were finding it really hard. And they were in that, that pit. And, it, and all they could think about was where they had come from. Most of them had a Jewish background, they, they had family heritage, they had traditions, they had what was comfortable to them, and they just got to a place of saying, you know what, we can't even see Jesus, we don't know where we're going, we just want to go back to where we were before. And the preacher's job in this letter, the preacher's job is to get these, these men and women to look up, to look up to the ridgeline and to see Jesus, who's been there the whole time. That's what he's trying to do. Not to get them to orient to a place, but to a person. And he wants that for you and me too. He wants us to look up from where we are and to see Jesus on the ridgeline, calling us to his rest, calling us to the destination that he's prepared for us, which is to be near him, to be with him. Forever, and, and that's what the Bible calls, the writer of Hebrews calls rest. This perfect, otherworldly rest. That's where we're headed, to rest in and with Jesus. So I invite you to come with me this morning to see that rest uh, that Jesus has promised for you, that he's achieved for you, that he is calling you to come and receive. And as your pastor, I want you to experience this rest. I want you to long for it. The first thing I want us to see from this text in this beginning of chapter 3 is that seeing Jesus, seeing Jesus keeps your hope alive. It keeps your hope alive. It makes you realize that what you're experiencing in the pit is not reality in the sense that that's all there is. It keeps hope alive. We just came off chapter 2 last week where we saw this picture of Jesus. And remember it says that Jesus was, chapters 1 and 2, he was higher than the angels. He had a name that was better than theirs. He has more power than them. He's the creator. He created them. He has more majesty and splendor than all of them. And yet for a little while, chapter 2, verse 8, he was made lower than the angels. He was subjected to a human body. He was subjected to suffering. He humbled himself. And then he died a death on the cross as our representative. And then after he finished making purification for sins. Chapter 1, verse 3. He was exalted and then seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
So he was made lower for a time and then exalted and raised back up out of the pit and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And now, where Jesus is, he's calling to you to say, you are going to come to me. You are going to come where I am. He is with us. And he hasn't left us there. He's with us every step of the way. He's with us in this ninja warrior course that we call life. And all along the course, your work and my work, what we are called to do is to keep our eyes locked onto Jesus. That's our work, to keep our eyes locked onto Jesus, to consider him. That's what it says in verse chapter 3, verse 1. The word consider, the command to consider, um, it appears several times in the book of Hebrews. There's something about these guys who are doing it tough, they're finding it hard. The way to snap out of it and to have, get hope back is to consider Jesus, to, to think, have a long think about who he is. Not just a, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, Jesus is good, but it's a long, careful look at who he is and what he's accomplished. And that brings our hope back. When you look to him, here's what you see. Verse 2 of chapter 3. He was and is faithful to his father. He always obeyed. And God appointed him as the high priest, it says, or the son over his household. Verse 3, it says he was better than or more glorious than Moses. Uh, Moses was one of the former prophets. You can read about him in the early books of the Old Testament. That Jesus wasn't just faithful like Moses, who was a servant appointed by God. He was God's own son. So he's greater than Moses. And he's not just faithful as Moses was in God's house. Jesus is faithful over God's house. See the language there. And remember in chapter 1, verse 2, God made Jesus the heir of everything, of the universe that he created. So he isn't just the head of God's house. He built it. What is God's house? Where is God's house located? You know, back in the days of the Old Testament, God's dwelled in the tabernacle in the tent. It sort of moved around with the people and then eventually in the temple in Jerusalem. But where is God's house now? Look at verse 6. We are God's house. There is no longer a physical temple where God's presence dwells. God's presence is among us among his people. Who are God's people? Well, they're the ones that keep looking to Jesus for life and hope, the ones who don't lose their confidence and their faith in him. So the confidence that we're called to and the hope that we're called to, it's, it's, it's not something that's separate to Jesus. Jesus is our confidence. He is our hope. And he's the one that's leading us out of the pit into rest. Seeing him for who he is, seeing him as your supreme treasure, your goal, your destination, your joy, that's what keeps your hope alive in absolutely any circumstance that you can imagine. Let's move on. The main work we have to do until we see Jesus face to face when we die is to see him now as, as better than anything that we could possibly pursue, and better than anything we could treasure, anything that we could store up for ourselves. He is better than anything. 
But how do we see Jesus if he's not physically here? I mean, we can't physically see his body. He is with God. Uh, how can we see him? And, and that might sound like a silly question, but it's, it's actually not. Because it's one that we, whether we are articulated or not, it's a question that we all have. And I think the preacher wants us to, to answer that question, or he wants to help us with it. Because one thing that happens when we don't see Jesus, is we, and we do see other things, is that those other things loom larger in our vision than Jesus himself, and we begin to pursue and chase after those things, and our happiness, our joy, depend, becomes dependent on those things. Think about it. You don't see Jesus with your eyes, but you do see the people you live with. And so what happens when the people you live with have a bad day, or they're sad, or they're grumpy, or they're frustrated with you? Does that affect your joy? Does it affect your hope, your desire to get out of the house? Because your joy being tied then to the people that you live with rather than to Jesus because they're the people you see. Maybe your joy, your happiness is tied to something else. It's tied to your success or your performance at work or your, your, your other friends or your, um, your pleasure. And this year, you know, you've had probably, most of us have had to cancel plans and, and holidays, and that can affect our joy if our ultimate joy is found in our plans and our holidays and our entertainment. But if our ultimate joy is found in Jesus and he never changes, then our joy will never change. It will never fade. But how do we see him when he's not physically with us? If you look at verse, verses 7 to 11, it's a quotation from Psalm 95. And it's a command. It's a command not about the eyes. It's not a command for the eyes. It's a command for the ears. The way we see Jesus and the way we keep our hope alive isn't by seeing him with our eyes. It's by hearing his voice with our ears. And this sounds strange, but we see Jesus with our ears. In this life, we see Jesus with our ears. Now, that might seem strange. I was listening to a uh, podcast this week. I was talking about the culture that we live in. And we are a culture that where everybody today loves a good spectacle. Everybody loves a good spectacle. Think about it. Um, about a week ago, uh, it was the 4th of August, um, the news started breaking over um, all the, the channels that there was a, a massive explosion in, in the city of Beirut. Lebanon. And I'm, most of you have probably seen at least one of the uh, images that was captured on people's phones and, and other uh, CCTV. And, and uh, there was even a, a lady who was doing a, a wedding shoot, and you could see the stuff start falling off in the middle of her, her, her wedding shoot. And these, these images were just shared instantaneously the moment they were received by news organizations around the world. It became a spectacle. And there are people in the world today who work for these media companies, own these media companies, that make millions and millions and millions of dollars off of your eyes, your clicks, your wanting to see something that is a spectacle for the eyes. It's a, it's a big business. The difference is when it comes to our faith in Jesus. What keeps our faith alive, what keeps our hope alive, isn't 
something that we see. It's not a spectacle for the eyes. Jesus even says in Isaiah 53 that he was not much to look at. It, it literally says that, that it, he wasn't, he didn't, there was nothing about him that made people want to keep looking. He was not a spectacle. And yet Christianity, our faith, comes to us as a spectacle for the ears. That's why Jesus over and over again says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him listen. This is my son who I love. Listen to him. That's the voice of God there at the transfiguration. Jesus comes to us. And, and so this is a quote, this quote, this long quote from Psalm 95. And this is kind of like a, it's a flashback of a flashback. Let me just give you the, the, the context of this quote where it says, starts out saying, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Well, let me tell you about the rebellion. The rebellion happened back in, uh, just outside of Egypt, uh, back in the days of Moses. God had just rescued his people from 400 years of slavery, led them out of Egypt, uh, led them through the Red Sea. Now that was a spectacle. You know, put the waters to the side, and then comes crashing down on the Egyptian army, and then the people are completely saved. They're completely rescued. Have total freedom after 400 years of slavery. And then what happens? Like two days later, they run out of water. They run out of water, and the mood of the people completely changes. The Red Sea, the deliverance, the rescue, they've forgotten all of that, and they're saying, Moses, what is wrong with you? You've brought us out here to starve to death, to die of thirst. What is, it would have been better if you would have just left us alone. We wish we never knew you. And the writer of Psalms, David, is writing this in Psalm 95, 400 years later, looking back on that, what they did, on this incident in Israel's history, and he calls it a rebellion. He says, that's the moment when God's people rebelled against God. They stopped trusting him. They stopped seeing hope on the ridgeline. All they saw was a pit. And Moses called, or David called that rebellion. And he says, because they did that, because they rebelled, they never entered God's rest. In fact, God was angry with them, and he says, I swore in my anger they will never enter my rest. And that line is repeated now in Hebrews several times. So it's a flashback of a flashback. Hebrews is writing, uh, he's quoting David, who was writing about Moses, and here we see that we can learn from this. This is written for our instruction as well. Um, it made me think about Paul, right? I, I, I don't know if you, any of you like the book of Philippians. I think we're going we're gonna to have to preach through Philippians sometime soon because I love it. Um, he says uh, in chapter 4 of Philippians, he taught, and this is a guy who he's writing this from jail, and he'd been through all sorts of things. He knew the pit. He knew what it, he knew what it felt like. He, he lived in that pit. And yet he knew what it was like to be in that pit and see Jesus everywhere he looked. And so he could write, for example, in chapter 4, uh, verse 12 and 13. He says, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of what? Of being content. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do most misquoted scripture probably of all. Verse 13, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. 
What are the all things, what's the all things that he is able to do? He's able to be content in all situations. That, that's, that's what he means. He's not saying that, you know, I'm, you know, I've never played football a day in my life and I'm going to go, you know, join the AFL. I can do all things to Christ. That's not what he means. He means that I can be content in all situations through Christ who strengthens me. See, Paul knew this. He said that he knew the pit, but he wasn't afraid of the pit because he could see Jesus everywhere. He could see Jesus everywhere he looked. He knew where he was going. And I want you, and I want me, to be able to see him like Paul saw him, like David saw him, like some of the people, like the preacher of Hebrews saw him, and that you can be content. You can rest and know God's rest and, and believe God's word and his promises for you in any situation. And by believing, have life in his name and strength through him. It's not easy, though, to hear Jesus calling to us this way uh, in his word. That's why he writes so many times, today if you hear him. Today if you hear him. Today, if you, we, we've got to be reminded every day, not just, you know, uh, today, and this is going to carry me on for the next 20 years. It's today. It's tomorrow. It's the next day. It's today if you hear his word. Listen. Don't harden your hearts. Because there's lots of noise out there. There's lots of noise. There's lots of competition for your eyes and for your ears to see and hear other things. And, and, and we, we do that enough. What's the result? We end up with hard hearts that are unable to see and unable to hear. That's how we end up retreating and walking away and going back to our safe place rather than taking risk in following Jesus as his disciples. So how do we come to see? How do we come to believe? What resources has God given us to help us see? Where do we find them? Well, um, if you look in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3, it says this, it says, Encourage each other daily while it is still called today, there's today again, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So, so you, you see the logic there? Or you see, see kind of the flow of thought? Today, while it's still today, don't harden your heart like the guys did back in Israel in the rebellion. And then the same kind of language in verse 12. Encourage each other today so that you don't end up with a hard heart. Okay? So how is it that we avoid hard hearts? It's not just try harder. Don't be a hard-hearted person. End of story. He says, you know what? God's given you resources. He's given you not only his Holy Spirit, but he's given you each other. The people in this room, the people, brothers and sisters in one family, who it is your job to both give encouragement and to receive encouragement that you might not have a hard heart and, and you might not have a hard heart and that I might not have a hard heart. We have each other so that we might not have hard hearts so that we can live life in the pit and see Jesus everywhere we look. God's, we are God's, you, you are God's gift to me and to each other. Now, verse 14 says this. I, I'm just going to glide over this. I don't have time to dug into it. He says, for we have been, we become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start 
if we don't harden our hearts, um, then we will um, be, then we become participants in Christ. Um, so this raises the question, can a genuine Christian stop becoming a participant in Christ? Can a person lose their salvation? Um, I, I don't know that anyone who truly sees and believes Jesus will have a hard heart. I just don't see how that's possible. God's voice, uh, his word, softens the heart. And that's one of many reasons why it's so important to spend time knowing and meditating on God's word. And not just for ourselves. It's not just me and, and my Bible and, and Jesus, but it's for each other. So, like, my ability to encourage you is dependent on my knowledge and faith in the Word of God. And your ability to encourage me depends on your faith and your knowledge of the Word of God. Your ability to comfort your friend who is hurting. Your ability to share the gospel with someone who is lost. Your ability to be an encouraging friend depends on your knowledge and your time and your meditation and your hunger and thirst for God's word. So it's not just about you and your personal quiet time, but it's about us. If you hear his voice today, man, just drink it in. Don't wait. You, you might very well have the opportunity this day, before the sun goes down, to take a phone call from someone who's just received the worst possible news of their lives, and, and you can pray over them and encourage them with God's word today. So if you hear his voice. So let me review. This is where we've come so far. Seeing Jesus is what keeps your hope alive especially when you're in the pit. We see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts when we hear his voice. And we each have, we have each other to help us keep seeing and believing. Now in chapter 4, we get to the, the goal, which is rest in Jesus. And there's two dimensions to this rest I, I want you to see. There's a future rest when we, we die and we're with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth, the place he's prepared for us. And you can go over to Revelation 21 and 22 and read about this rest. And it's amazing because in this rest, there's, there's no more pain. There's no more sadness. There's no more pit. There is, there's Jesus and joy and life and health everywhere we look and abundance and healing. You can go and read about that. And, and, and we have access through Jesus to that future rest, that future glory, because Jesus lowered himself. But I want you to see something else from the text, because the rest the preacher is talking about is not just about the future after you die. It is, and we praise God for that. But you know what? We get to taste that rest now. We get to taste it now. And that's how all of God's gifts work, isn't it? There, there, there's an ultimate fulfillment where we receive God's gift fully like you know Paul said that we um, we see now like but through a kind of a foggy mirror but one day we'll see fully because we'll be with Jesus face to face and we'll know fully just as he knows us fully now all of God's gifts have a future fullness and, and a present in part enjoyment okay we now can experience God's rest 
We taste it. We see it. We preview it. Many of the things in the story of the Bible uh, point to this. Think about it. In the very first chapter of the Bible, God said he created everything. created the universe in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. He sets a pattern that rest comes after work. That rest is a good gift that comes after working. Then the Israelites, they, they journeyed through the wilderness for how many years? Forty years. And then after 40 years, they finally cross over the Jordan. They, they fight the battles against their enemies, and then their enemies are defeated, and they enjoy rest, peace in the land, in the land that God had promised to them. Now, that's not a perfect rest, because the enemies came back, the people sinned, and then they fell into a time of strife again. But for that moment, it was a little taste, it was a preview of God's rest. David when he wrote that word in Psalm 95, he's writing in the present tense. He says, he says today, if you hear, this isn't just a lesson, a, a history lesson for what happened back then. It said, today, if you hear, don't harden your hearts, because then you won't get God's rest. And so for the people living in David's day, they have the opportunity to enjoy and enter into God's rest. And then when the writer of Hebrews is writing 2,000 years ago, they had the opportunity on that day to enjoy and experience God's rest. And now here we are in 2020. We have the ability and the, to experience God's rest. That's why verse 11 is such a clarion call. It says this, make every effort to enter God's rest. Now, it's kind of a funny picture because we don't think of effort and rest as being, you know, things, they, they seem like opposites. But he says, rest, it's so important for you that you receive this gift of God's rest. That you can spare nothing to, to, to have it, to take it, to receive it. And I want to show you what that might look like in real life. I, I mentioned before, you know, the merchants of spectacle, the people that want you to, you know, distract you in the pit, to see everything else except uh, Jesus. Netflix and chill, that is rest. And there's people making millions of dollars to get you to believe that. Now, I'm not saying Netflix is evil. It's, uh, these are good things. But it's when we take things which are good and make them the ultimate goal. That's when we don't experience rest. That's how we end up with hard hearts. Other people say, you know what? Don't worry about Netflix. It's just a, a nice glass of wine and a, and a day at the spa. Or it's, a, it's that perfect holiday. It's just the perfect night out with friends or that perfect meal. That's where rest comes from. Or it's your kids, having kids that just fulfill you uh, and, and just fill that emptiness in your life. Once you have kids, then you will have rest. Or maybe it's when your kids are out of the house, then you will have rest because it will be so quiet and the pantry will be full all the time. Or, or, or maybe it's when you finally can retire and not ever have to go to work again, and then you will have rest, and then you find out after you retire that even retirement isn't restful because then your body starts to break down and you think, well, it's when I, I die and don't have to deal with this pain anymore, then I'll have rest. See, it just goes on and on. It's never, we never experience rest fully in this life unless we make every effort to experience it in Christ. And we can, you can, you can come out of the pit. You can see Jesus. He's given us eyes of faith to see when we hear his voice. Last thing I want you to see in this text, and I know I've just 
like flown over this. So normally I like to go a little bit slower. But the last thing I want you to see in this text is verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4. Because now I've, I've already said the way to enter God's rest is to see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts when we hear his voice. And so we've, we're closing here with a little reminder of God's word, the power of his word to do something in you, to do something in your heart. Because we're in this pit, many of us, and it is deep and it is dark and we need something powerful to get us out, to change our situation, to give us rest. What is it that can break the cycle of despair? The answer is you don't have to do anything. You just lie down where you are and you let the Word of God wash over your heart. You let the Word of God wash over your heart. I want you to listen to these words. You may have heard them before, may have memorized them, read them a moment ago, but I'm going to read them again. For the Word of God, which is the voice of God that we hear, is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit joins the marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's what that verse means. God's word is powerful and it is precise because God is powerful and precise. God's word isn't just generally spoken out into the atmosphere. It is God's word for you. He knows exactly what is going on in your heart, in your situation right now, and His Word is tailor-made for you and for us as God's people. He knows how to lead you out of the pit of despair. He knows the encouragement you need. He knows where you struggle to believe. He knows your doubts, and He is perfectly okay with that because He has a Word that is more powerful and better and, more, and stronger than your doubts and your despair. And He can lead you with His Word. Brother, sister, the answer to your sadness, the answer to your apathy is found in the unchanging explosion of joy that we find in His Word. And here's His Word to you today. Verse 13, you are not hidden from Him. This is not just a command here to see God, see God, see God, see God. Here's how he closes. He says, here's the good news. God sees you first. God sees you first. You're not hidden from him. You stand before him, he says, naked and exposed, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, which is kind of scary, and yet he presents this as good news. You will give an account to him, and that's terrifying. The maker of every molecule can look into your heart, and he can tell you exactly why you said what you said, why you did what you did, and all the mixed motivation, all the selfishness, all the hypocrisy, better than your spouse can, better than your kids can. You think your kids can kind of point out your, your inconsistencies? God knows all of it, and he loves you intensely. And he has provided a way through Jesus that we can stand before him spotless and blameless. We can stand before him in the day of judgment and be completely free of fear and anxiety because Jesus has done everything necessary to make you pure and righteous and holy and acceptable to him. 
He is. That's what we're saying. That's what we're seeing in this whole section of the book. Jesus is your merciful and faithful high priest, meaning he has made purification for all of your sins, all of your shortcomings, all of your failings, all of your mixed motivations, all of your dubious effort. He has covered all of it, and he has tasted the death that you deserved and that I deserved. The only thing, it says here, that provokes God's anger the only thing that provokes his wrath in this text is when he sees a heart that doesn't believe and refuses to receive the free gift of grace that he has accomplished in Jesus. Here's what I want us to do as we close. I want you to picture yourself in that sinkhole, in that pit. And I want you to, in your mind's eye, I want you to look up to the ridge line. And, and I want you to see who is there or what is there to pull you out and to give you hope. And maybe, maybe you look up and you see your friends telling you how amazing you are. Listen, if those friends aren't helping you to see Jesus, who's the only one that can actually pull you out of that place and bring you home, if they're not helping you to see him more clearly, then get better friends. There will come a day and I know this from experience with my friends. There will come a day when your friends will get irritated with you. And they might even move on. Or maybe you're a better person than me and you don't ever irritate anyone. Hallelujah. But if you're like me, then your friends may frustrate you and you might frustrate them. Maybe you look up on the ridgeline and you see your job. You see a vocation or a career. and You're doing really, really well. And you think that career is going to get me out of the pit. And you can think about the excitement and how fulfilling it is. And you can run and run and achieve and achieve and achieve. But one day, you will not be able to run or achieve anymore. And you will probably be forgotten. Retirement is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. Maybe you look up and you see Netflix, or you see a glass of wine, or you see a nice holiday, or a nice house, or a personal best at the gym. All of these things are good things. I'm not preaching against any of these things. None of them can give you eternal rest for yourself. None of them can satisfy you. Only Jesus can. Jesus is the one who said, come to me, you who are weary. He assumed that's everybody. He's not saying if. He's saying you are weary. Come to me. You are heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. That's what he wants for you. That's what he achieved for you. That's what he gives. I wonder, is that the inner disposition of your heart to want what he wants to give you? Or are you stuck in the pit with all the raccoons jumping out of the trees around you and all you can say is, God, where's my water? So much of what passes for Christianity today is, is essentially that. It's looking for ways to find happiness in this life and add God in the margins, yeah. in the gaps. But that's not the Christianity of the Bible where Jesus says, come to me. Only me, and I will give you rest. If you've never done that, then please don't go another day. Today, if you hear his voice, don't resist him. The only thing in life that can give you lasting joy. And that's his invitation to you, to come believe, to come taste life in his name. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the good news of the gospel. 
Thank you that while we were still sinners, while we were still running from you, that you ran to us, that you humbled yourself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that we might know rest and joy, that we might come and be in the presence of your Father forever. Lord, would you help our hearts to believe? Give us faith, eyes to see, ears to hear. And then when we do, give us lips to encourage the people around us, to comfort, to lead, to serve. God, help us now as we come to the table to remember how you came into this life, not to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. Lord, teach our hearts what true life and joy and rest looks like. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.